It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome into episode 204 of the Sources Say podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the growing KSR podcast network. The Sources Say podcast is, as always, presented by our good friends at Condado Tacos at the Summit at Fritz Farm. Stop in to see our friends at Condado to try some of their summer features like the mango guacamole or chicken bacon ranch taco they've also got happy hour deals like the six dollar house margaritas monday through friday from 3 to 6 p.m we love tacos at ksr so the partnership with condado was perfect to fuel our crew for the big week of bahamas coverage thanks to condado again it's been an awesome week i'm on my way home from the bahamas i'm literally walking around in the uh, main terminal of the Miami airport, just because I was so excited to talk about this team and how the Wildcats performed in a 4-0 stretch uh, down in the Bahamas. The Big Blue Bahamas tour was a major success. The, the crowd was phenomenal from start to finish. The team was awesome. The players were awesome. The coach coaches were awesome. The access was awesome on, on my end. It was well worth every ridiculous penny that it cost. And I appreciate Condado Tacos for being a big part of that. They helped uh, send me down here and uh, really uh, I hope I knocked the coverage out of the park, but uh, they were a big part of of all of that. So appreciate them and all of their continued support of Sources Say. I'm once again joined by the one and only Sean Smith of Go Big Blue Country. Sean, how the heck are you? I am fantastic, Jack Pilgrim. How are you? Oh, just living the dream. You know, it's it's kind of at that point where you love being in paradise. You love being on the beach and going down water slides and goofing off and being stupid, but man, I'm excited to go home. It, there's just something to be said about a, a vacation ending and a work trip ending and, and just wanting to, to be home and in, in the comfort of my home. So uh, I'm very glad to be boarding my very last flight. Um, I'm actually like right above my gate as we record this to uh, get there. So hopefully uh, I can uh, see when the, the thing lines up and I don't miss this flight because goodness gracious, that'd be just an absolute nightmare. So anyway, long story short, the cats go four and oh in the Bahamas, a lot of good, uh, really not a whole lot of bad. And I'll ask you, you know, if there are any weaknesses or, or any things that you think the team needs to work on most, Sean, but uh, I mean, just let's start with uh, the final game. It was, it's, it was a Kentucky's really only test uh, just in terms of uh, keeping it close, keeping it competitive. It ends up being a 24-point win for the Cats over the Bahamian National Select team. Uh, Sean, it was a team of grown men. Basically, the entire starting lineup was 30 to 36-year-olds. Uh, We finally got to see, you know, Oscar Shibway battle against some, you know, real tough grown adults, and and the entire roster was going up against them. So, uh, 
let's just start with that. What did you think of the team's kind of grinded out victory, at least for, you know, three quarters of the game before they kind of spread things out late? Uh, how do you think the Cats played? I was actually happy to see a close game for a stretch because I think that's where we get the questions answered of which guys are going to kind of step forward, which one uh, is going to make a difference. And you saw that in the second half. You saw Antonio Reeves going there and just uh, be like a microwave and just heat up and just hit all those shots in a row. You saw Jacob Toppin doing his thing. You, you get to see some guys kind of answer the bell when the co- competition gets tough. And they're down eight there late in the first half, and then they make a run, have the lead at the half, and then go on a little bit of a run there to start the second half and then coasted to a victory down the stretch. Uh, it would have been probably ideal that would have been the opening matchup of the weekend. But then again, maybe on fresh legs, it wouldn't have been as close and wouldn't have been the test that it was on Sunday. So I think it was the perfect way to close the weekend. So I, I guess the, the real question is, what kind of overall takeaways can you make from a you know prediction standpoint, from a uh, what your expectations were going into the week uh, and what you thought this team could be based on the competition, based on how, how you played uh, this game in particular, but the, the four game stretch as a whole, you know, are you using this as a Kentucky had a 50 point margin of victory uh, for all four games and you're using it as a holy crap, this team can be something special? Or are you more attributing that to the lack of competition that the Cats face? Because uh, I think that's kind of one of the big questions that Kentucky fans has has right now is just, uh, you know, how how much can you use this to project how the team will play uh, later on this this year? I think you can project it in a couple of different ways. And when I'm looking at projections, I'm going off the of stats here. And I'm looking at a team that shot 38% from the three-point line as a team for the weekend. I'm also looking at a team that shot about 85% from the free throw line and shot 56 of 66 at the charity stripe. So I'm looking at stats like that and thinking, okay, those are numbers that are, that you can envision Kentucky doing in the regular season. Now, 38% as a team is a high three point clip, but that free throw percentage number as a team really stands out to me. And I'm looking at guys like Xavier Wheeler, 14 of 15 on the week, Antonio Reeves, 10 of 10, uh, I mean, they got they got dudes that are going to be able to hit free throws and hit shots, and I, I think that that's something that you take away from the trip. But when it comes to competition, obviously we we don't get all the questions answered. I mean, it, it'd be great to kind of crown this team and say, all right, this is definitely a Final Four contender after four games in the Bahamas, and I, I certainly think that they will be a Final Four contender. But, I mean, obviously there's, there's areas of their game that they do need to improve on. I want to see them keep getting better and better on the defensive end of the floor. I want to see the offensive rhythm continue to uh, – to kind of progress toward where it needs to be and uh, see some other guys like C.J. Frederick when he gets up to full strength, like work him in there and give him a little bit more run and see what can happen. But to me, the biggest takeaway when it comes to question, and maybe – and I don't really have concerns with it because I, I don't think there was a, an area of their game where I really was like, man, they need to significantly improve this or I'm worried about this. I was worried about depth at guard going in, but then Adutiero showed us what he can do. And that kind of eased some of that. Antonio Reeves looks like a dude that can be a star at Kentucky, especially scoring the basketball. And if he commits to the defensive end, it's going to be hard to keep him off the floor. But my thing is this, Jack, and it's the thing that Cal's been best at. How does he keep all these guys healthy? Like, or not healthy, but happy. Sorry. Now, hopefully he keeps yeah. them all healthy. But how does he keep <laughs> them all happy? Healthy has been the problem the last few years, so not happiness. But how does he keep them all happy? We've, we've known – since 2015 that he said he won't platoon again. It feels like there's a collection and a lot of guys on this team that are going to deserve to play because they have so many veterans. And then these talented freshmen coming in, we know they're going to play. How does he keep them all happy? 
How does he keep on sharing the success if he's not going to platoon? I, I think that that is something, and obviously that's probably the the one thing that we should not have any concerns about Cal with. Yeah, I, I, and I think that's kind of one of my big takeaways, and maybe even my biggest was while I was sitting there on the sideline uh, or on the baseline watching the games, you know, I, I'd, I'd look at a lineup and I'd go, dang, I really like this lineup. Like, I just love, I love the length of this lineup. I love the shooting of this lineup. I love the rebounding, you know, whatever, whatever it was. And then I'd look over at the scorer's table and then you'd have Case and Wallace ready to check in. You'd have Xavier Wheeler ready to check in. You'd have Oscar Sheboy ready to check in. Like guys that are high level contributors or guys that are expected to be high level contributors weren't even in the game when Kentucky was playing at its kind of best basketball. And it just kind of made me, again, you brought up the, they're not going to platoon thing. And, and, you know, I, I get that, but at the same time, you, I mean, I mean, you'd sit there and watch games and you'd be like, man, there are three guys on the bench right now that are, you know, key contributors that need minutes. How are we going to, to, to do this rotation? And I thought it was interesting that when, uh, you know, there were times that Cal was rotating three, you know, three guys in at a time, uh, you know, may, sometimes even four, four guys in at a time. And, and I thought that was, you know, kind of uh, pretty telling. And I was just like, okay. I don't think that this, you know, we're, we're don't want to throw away around the platoon word. I mean, that's just not a, a something that Kentucky fans are wanting to hear. But at the same time, it's it's it, I agree. It's definitely worth noticing that when you have that many pieces that can just do everything that you're looking for, uh, it it definitely makes you it makes you wonder how the rotations are going to work out uh, and and you know how how playing time is going to play out. And uh, I, I have the same uh, thing in the back of my mind as you do, Sean. Yeah, and I think that that's the uh, the area you're looking at because you know Oscar Sheba is going to play a ton of minutes when it gets down to the regular season and it's crunch time. You know, Savir Wheeler, Kaysen Wallace, all these guys are going to be on the floor. And, and I think the one of the big discussions that comes out of it is now we can kind of start keying in on what an ideal rotation would look like. We can start talking about who we think the starting five is going to be on opening night. And then uh, people the, – the, here's how you know so many people played well. You and I may come up with a different starting five, and every single listener that listens to us tonight, there may be five or six different lineup combinations because they they may just go with what they thought was best. And that's the sign of a really good team. That's a sign of a lot of guys that can come in and do different things. Like my lineup right now, if Kentucky started the season tonight, it would be Savir Wheeler, Kaysen Wallace, Antonio Reeves, Jacob Toppin, and Oscar Sheepway. And that's taken out. Damian Collins, who arguably had the most impressive week with some of the things that he did on the floor. It's taken out Chris Livingston. That's the depth that this team has. That's the talent that this team has. They have plenty of options. A lot of questions were answered. Antonio Reeves was the only transfer that they added in the offseason, and we see why they did. And I told you multiple times, I'm like, there's no way he's not going to be a 20-point scorer at Kentucky my goodness, like he just gets baskets in in bunches and you look and you see he shot 42 shots, shot 52% from the floor, 14 of 27 for three for 51, 52%, perfect at the free throw line, 10 of 10. Jack, that's an elite three-level scorer who can get his own, something that Kentucky really didn't have in that role of a Davion Mintz or a Kellen Grady last year. Like this is a different – piece to the puzzle than what those two were a year ago. And I, I just go back to our conversations that we had, Sean, where, you know, we were very blunt about the departure of Shaden Sharp. And we said, look, 
you're not going to find a three level scorer like him who can jump the way he can, who can, you know, score the way he can, who can shoot the way he can. You're not going to find a top 10, you know, superstar caliber talent in the transfer portal. And that was right when, you know, the Antonio Reeves stuff started ramping up. And, uh, you know, those two timelines were kind of overlapping with one another. And, and, you know, the, the question was, can Antonio Reeves be the shade and sharp of this team? And we were, you know, at least me. I was I, I I will firmly thoroughly admit that I was wrong on this after after hearing what I've heard about him behind the scenes. Uh, you know, it was very, really interesting talking to Coach O at the podium uh, on that last day. Uh, he said kind of a, a sly comment where he where he was, you know, he was like, I'm glad that you all finally get to see what we saw. It, 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 you know, it was kind of one of those. We were right, and we always knew we were right. I'm glad that the world can finally get a chance to see that. And, and I think it's true. I think I think they deserve the world of credit for how they were able to identify that talent in the transfer portal, see him as a guy that, okay, look at what he can do as a scorer. Look at the way he moves. Look at the way uh, he, he can create for himself and 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 you know get to his spots and score in in all these unique creative crafty ways that will translate and that was something that i was very very concerned about how that level will translate from you know just how seamless that transition will be coming from you know the missouri valley coming from illinois state and playing at a place like freaking kentucky i just i i will admit i just didn't think i thought he would be the davion mintz replacement off the bench i thought he would have been a great you know eight to 10 point per game score where, you know, yeah, he was going to do some good things, but he wasn't going to be that next level, that next tier of player. Uh, and Sean, I will, I will gladly admit that I'm wrong because Kentucky has clearly hit a home run on Antonio Reese. Yeah. I'm going to admit that I'm wrong too. Cause I mean, there's, there's going to be games where he's going to score 20 plus just because he, he's that guy that if you put him in and you get the game going and there's a couple of possessions that are back to back in transition and you lose him, especially when you're worrying about what Kentucky can do with Oscar Shibway running to the rim and what Jacob Toppin can do running to the rim. The way Kentucky's going to defend this year with all that length and athleticism that they have, there's going to be plenty of opportunities for them to get out and run and transition. And I think that's where Antonio Reeves is going to just make a killing is just getting up and down the floor, running full speed, taking those threes in transition. You saw a couple throughout the weekend. I mean, he is ready to shoot every time he catches it. But the thing that separates him is he's about 6'6". He's got these long arms. He can create his own shot. How many step backs did we see him take off the bounce that he created on his own? The one in the corner had a couple Mm -hmm. off of the key yesterday. Those are areas where last year when it got down to the end of the year and Kentucky was banged up with Ty Ty Washington – Savir Wheeler's not able to do those things. Like Savir is is best at setting the table for someone else or attacking, trying to get the free throw line, doing some things like that. But when you look at what they had, this is a significant upgrade because this is a guy that you could say, okay, you go get yourself a bucket here. We need a basket. They've got guy, Cason Wallace looks like he's going to be a guy that can do that. Jacob Toppin's doing it a little bit now. Collectively, this was a really good weekend and or a week down there. And how about this too? Somebody asked me about free throw attempts, and they were talking about Savir Wheeler and that the low number of attempts he had a year ago. I, I don't even think was it did he even get to sixty free throw attempts on the season last year? It was a really low number. Got yeah. to got to fifteen free throw attempts in four games, and we know that he didn't play the same amount of minutes that he will play in the regular season. So it was good to see him getting to the free throw line and hitting those free throws as well. So. 
Kentucky's backcourt, I'm I'm very pleased with where it is right now. And you just think about what it's going to be like when C.J. Frederick is actually able to go and there's not a load management concern there. Yeah, and I mean, how about C.J. Frederick? We uh, That was kind of a player that uh, we were all very high on. We knew what he could be as a catch-and-shoot guy, but, you know, and he he's played a lot of reps in the Big Ten, and that's something that, uh, you know, talking to Chin Coleman, uh, after I think the first, the, the second game uh, of the week, talking to Chin, he said, yeah, yeah, like I, I coached against him at Illinois in the big 10. I have seen him on countless occasions, just whoop our players, butts. I mean, just doing so many little things on the floor, uh, that, that just w- was so far beyond shooting, you know? Yeah. We know he's a 47% career three point shooter from uh, at, uh, at Iowa, uh, but you guys aren't seeing the other things. His very, you know, ex- ex- unbelievable assist to turnover ratio. The guy just does not turn the ball over. That's something that you said on the show several times. Again, in the Bahamas, he proved that again. He, he, he I think he had finished with one turnover in a total of like 40 minutes or whatever it ended up being. Uh, I mean, that is an, an, a, an elite, underrated statistic that came out of that. And again, we talked about it on, on one of the previous shows. There was an entire segment of the film session uh, that, that we got to see in John Calipari's suite uh, one of the first days there dedicated entirely to CJ's defense. He didn't score a single point in that first game, took one shot and Cal went out of his way to say, I was wrong about you. Cause apparently, you know, talking to people behind the scenes, apparently uh, he kind of lashed out at CJ at halftime of, of that first game and said, you know, you got to be better defensively. You, you had a couple screw ups uh, and Cal admitted in, at, at film. He said, look, I'm the, I'm will admit when I'm wrong on a, on a, on after watching film on something. he said, CJ, I will admit I was wrong to you. I did not, you did not deserve me lashing out at you. You were incredible defensively. And Sean, he put together an entire highlight tape of all of the defensive stops that he made, the disruptions, the, the, you know, slapping down at the ball and, and, you know, just, just being disruptive, being aggressive, uh, just being active on that end of the floor on top of making the extra pass doing, uh, you know, bringing the ball to the floor and, and running the passing lane or, uh, um, you know, just just running the floor well, doing all the little things that it takes to win uh, at this level. And uh, that was something that Cal was like, I, I was wrong about you on the, in this event in particular. Uh, Chin Coleman went out of his way to praise, like, look, we know what this kid can do. We've we've seen it on film from from start to finish. Now you guys are able to see it here in a Kentucky uniform. Again, I wish we got to see him on that last day. Wish we got to see a little bit more of him. Uh, but goodness gracious, I thought C.J. Frederick. Uh, just, just tremendous for for his debut. Yeah, and I grade his week in A plus, and the, the biggest reason why is he played and he came out of the week healthy, and he's going to get into these workouts and stuff and into official practice ready to roll when the season comes around in in November. I think that was the biggest thing is you just wanted to see him get up and down the floor, let Kentucky fans see him run up and down, get him some confidence, get him healthy and just get some basketball under his belt at Kentucky. It's been a long time. It's been since his days at Iowa that he's been able to run up and down the floor in a competitive game of basketball against another team. So it was really encouraging to uh, to see him complete the weekend. And just the numbers overall, just uh, looking at some stuff here, the balance scoring. I mean, they had six guys finish with double figures, and Chris Livingston just missed it with 9.8 points per game. So the balance was there. For a team in August that is still learning and figuring out who they are, I said that about Xavier Wheeler from night one. I know a lot of people, when I named that starting lineup a second ago, there's probably going to be people listening to the show that the, the guy that they would take out would probably be Xavier Wheeler and put Wallace at the one, 
and with Reeves and, uh, you know, go a different route with the backcourt, maybe stick Livingston in there at the three alongside Toppin. But to me, Jack, those struggles in game one, it, it's hardest it, to me, it's harder for your point guard to kind of blend in with new faces. And I know Oscar, yeah. Shelley, Jacob Toppin, and, and so many familiar faces back, but guys are asked now to do a little bit different things than what they did a year ago. Jacob Toppin has a larger role than he had six months ago. You have Antonio Reeves, it's new. Chris Livingston, C.J. Frederick breaking his way in there with Sabre Wheeler. Cason uh, Wallace, like to me, it took a little bit for the guys to kind of get used to one another, for Wheeler to kind of figure things out. I thought he was excellent the final three games of the trip. I thought Sabre Wheeler was exactly what the Bob Cousy Award finalist was supposed to be in those three games. I think he's going to be headed for another big year. And I think on on that note, do you think he's almost become undervalued by this fan base and just, you know, college basketball as a whole, just because you know exactly what he's going to bring to the table? And again, for better and for for worse, we know what his flaws are. And, and I just had a, a really vulnerable conversation with Savir, and I, I have a fe- feature in the works on KSR about it, uh, where I sat down with Savir after uh, a game and then, you know, he flat out said, like, I knew exactly what I was good at this offseason. I knew exactly what I was bad at. And I was like, well, can you dive into w- to both of those? What are you exceptional at and what are you bad at? And he said, this off se- this past year and, and throughout my college basketball career, I know that I play, uh, w- you know, way, way too uh, loosely at times. I know that I get ahead of myself. I get way too overly aggressive. Uh, and that's where my my poor decision making happens. That's where my mistakes happen. That's when I turn the ball over. Uh, and th- there was kind of this moment in, in this offseason where I was like, I need to reel it in. I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm elite at. I know I can push the pace and, and and move the ball off the floor. Unlike anybody else, I know I can get paint touches and find open teammates uh, better than anybody else in college basketball. I need to maximize those talent, uh, those those abilities of mine, and minimize some of the flaws that I have. I know that I struggle shooting. I've been working on that this entire offseason. I, I, I the stats show that I was. Uh, much better and you know much improved this past season, but I need to continue to get better at that. And they finished the week 0 for 9 from 3, so clearly there's still a lot more work to do, and it's a good thing that we're only in August right now and we still have three months before games are played. Uh, but I just, I appreciated that part of him, Sean, where he was just extremely vulnerable about who he is as a basketball player, what he needs to improve, and what he's he's very good at. I thought he had a tremendous week. I did too, and, and you he's one of these guys that you just cannot let the bad outweigh the good. And, and and I just don't think that's possible with him. I think that the there's too much good in his game. There's a reason why he's led the SEC and assist at two different schools. Probably has a really good opportunity to do it again this year for a third straight year. And I mean, you're, you're talking about a guy that when it comes to Power 5 conferences, you won't see another guy on that list in the last decade that's done it more than once besides him. And he's already done it twice. So just looking at his stats and the, that 0 of 9 from 3, you know why I can live with that? I can live with that if he's still shooting 61% from the floor and he's still mm-hmm. shooting 93% from the free throw line. Now, those are ridiculous numbers. Like, he's not going to shoot 61% in the regular season, but if he shoots 52, 51% from, from the field and is an 84, 85% free throw shooter, then I can live with that three point percentage being what it was a year ago or being even what it was at Georgia, just because I, I just don't think that he's going to take as many attempts. Uh, when it gets into the regular season. Uh, what did you think of Cason Wallace from three? Six of 15, 40% for the week. Chris Livingston, six of 10, 
two guys that look like when they get their feet set and they take good shots, they're very capable. I'll admit, I think Cason Wallace had the prettiest shot of the week. I think when he was catching it and shooting it, when when it was kind of a, uh, you know, there were times that he would try to to create his own and 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 kind of uncomfortably set up his own shot. And I thought that's kind of where he struggled a little bit. But when he was kind of catching it in stride and squaring up to the basket and lifting, I, I, it was cash every time, Sean. I mean, there were so many times that he would lift and he would release, and I'd go, "There's there's no way that misses. Like that's a make." And I mean, it would barely even touch the net. I thought at, in terms of, of pretty shots, Antonio Reeves, you know, the uh, Chet White of UK Athletics posted a photo today where it showed just kind of the the flick of Antonio's shots. And that's, I mean, that's just butter. That's just pure gold. Uh, but in, in terms of the other guys, uh, I think that is, I, I'm, you know, I was just could not have been more impressed with Kaysen, uh Just, you know, he's known as the defensive standout. He's known as the guy that's going to be, you know, the gritty do it all, you know, all around type of talent where, yeah, he can shoot, but he's not an elite shooter. But I thought maybe not, maybe not an, as an elite shooter, but I think he can be a very good, good shooter in the year shooting something, you know, 38% from three. And if you're getting that out of case in Wallace, uh, Sean, I, I think the, the sky's the limit, especially for that backcourt. Yeah, absolutely. His shot looks so good out of his hands, uh, the, the rotation on it. I mean, it's, it's perfect. And, and and I think that it's 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 certainly an area of his game that if he's able to do that the way he defends, I mean, look at the steals he had, 12 steals down there in four yeah. games. Like it's 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 gonna be an all SEC defensive guy from the moment he steps foot on campus and starts playing regular season games. That's the type of defender. You arguably got the best defensive backcourt, not only in the SEC, but possibly in college basketball with him and Savier. And then you got Jacob Toppin on the floor with him. Let's talk about Jacob Toppin a minute before we move on. Did would you have thought that he would be the second would hit the most second most threes going into that week if if we had told you that on Wednesday, eight of fifteen? Yeah, I, I, I absolutely would not have. And I, I think it, what's so fascinating is the last day when it came down to that final vote for MVP, it literally took until the second half where Antonio went absolute just nuclear that it was it, it was Jacob Toppins to lose because he was absolutely sensational. From start to finish this week, I mean, he had some, he had a couple lows where, you know, his shot wasn't falling and the aggressiveness wasn't there. He wasn't looking to attack, but Sean, when, when he caught fire, I mean, Jacob Toppin, that third game, I believe he was just, I mean, he was unguardable. I mean, when you're 6'10 and can move the way that he does and you're that athletic and you can do all of the little things, you know, everybody has known about the athleticism. Everybody has known about the length and the defensive upside and all that. But we've been waiting for the skill side to translate. We've been waiting for the shooting side to, tr- to side to translate. And he did both. I mean, he was finishing around the basket with touch and he was playing with finesse instead of just kind of reckless abandonment. He was, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk. Can he take a star jump? When can he start turning that potential into actual star production? Can he be a star when when he has that newfound freedom without Keon Brooks ahead of him in, in the starting lineup? Can he make that serious all SEC level jump? And we, you know, we've debated it all offseason saying, you know, I think he can, but he still has a lot of work to do. What, you know, how, how can he get to that point? Uh, and this week in particular, when he finishes the way he did, Sean, he finishes 16.8 points. Uh, he shoots 56.5% uh, from the field, 53% from three, uh, eight of 15 overall. And then he goes seven for nine from the free throw line. 
you know, very impressive defensively. I mean, that is what an all SEC player looks like. That's what a first round draft pick looks like. I thought Jacob Toppin, uh, we were looking to see if he could be a star. That's what a star looks like. That's what a first round talent looks like. And, you know, the four position was just such a kind of polarizing position last season. And after seeing four games of him against this type of, uh, you know, length and size and, and, you know, all of that, I I have no concerns about that four position. And on top of, you know, Chris Livingston playing a small ball for Damian Collins, doing what he did, Sean, I I think that position is in very good hands this season. Yeah. Third leading rebounder from the week too, with 22 total rebounds, 10 assists, only three turnovers. Strong rebounder too. I mean, he'd he'd go go up and take it from the top of the bat. from the top of the backboard. I love that the, the you know, just jumping through the ceiling to grab it with two hands and bring it down strong. He That was something that caught my attention uh, almost on every rebound. Well, and, and the thing with this Kentucky team that's standing out, I mean, you're you're talking about uh, Damian Collins and going back to going back 10 years to Anthony Davis and some of the lobs that Davis would catch, Damian Collins can cover that amount of ground as well. Like, I'm convinced you could throw it at the shot clock and he'd go get it. So, Kentucky's not only playing – they're not playing 10 feet. When you play Kentucky, you got to cover about 14, 15 feet. And with – because they got guys like Toppin. they got guys like Damian Collins, these guys that can go up and get these balls above the rim. And when those are some of John Calipari's best teams. But one note on Jacob Toppin, I want to see him commit to being a two-foot scorer. Off of two feet. When he made those plays yesterday, there were two there late in the first half where he went on off, went in off two feet. He finished on through contact, really strong plays. The one-footed runners at 6'9", I want to see him go off two feet, Jack, because those mm-hmm. shots turn into three-point plays instead of just maybe making a basket or maybe getting to the free throw line for two free throws. Those are three-point plays if he becomes a two-foot scorer. Yeah, I think that's a great point that when he struggled this week, it was as a result of, you know, the off balance trying to, you know, Cal was calling it the the leg kickers where he was kind of flailing in himself, trying to, you know, fade away the off balance, you know, kind of floaters. And, you know, he was trying to be pretty at times. He was trying to finish, you know, through two defenders at times and, you know, go really sloppy on a couple of possessions in particular where, you know, there's, you know, a lot of grumbling of, oh, you know, here's, uh, you know, Jacob Toppin being overly confident, thinking that he's a superstar already. He, he's not that yet. You know, the, uh, I saw it all on social media, and I, I don't think that's fair to, you know, describe to, uh, you know, describe of him just, just for a couple of poor possessions. But uh, that's where he struggled. And I think that's definitely, so I agree, that's definitely something that that he'll need to improve on. But again, we are, I mean, this is August 15th. So, yeah. We still have, I mean, and they players go home for a week. They come back for, for school. Uh, and then after that, Sean, I mean, we, we still have three more months before we even start to have to worrying about any, any other game. So uh, there's still a lot of time for Jacob Toppin to fix. And if we were waiting for an off-season jump, uh, I mean, you couldn't have asked for a, a better just, I mean, the season, the, the last season ended in March. So when you really think March, June, July, August, I mean, it's, it's, or March, April, May, June, July, August. So five months uh, it's been, and we've already seen that much growth on on Jacob Toppins. And I'm very excited to see what the next three months hold for him as well. I am too. And I'm also excited to see what happens with Chris Livingston. And I, I love his game. I, I love how he rebounds. To me, that that's going to be a guy that regardless of his role, how many minutes he plays, you're going to see him be there in the top three, top four and team double doubles, I think, by the end of the year because he rebounds so hard. And uh, that improved that that three point shot 
six of 10 from three, the plays that he makes uh, with the ball in his hands, the assist, all of it, like that is going to be a guy. Kentucky has plenty of options, Jack, at multiple positions. I think that's probably the biggest takeaway. Other than the defensive potential that they have, I think this team has a collection of guys that can be elite on-ball defenders. But I think that they also have a total team that could be an elite off-ball defender, those help defenders that Kentucky needs. Uh, Are they going to be able to block the amount of shots that they did in the Bahamas in the regular season? That remains to be seen. Will Jacob Toppin and Duthiero and all those guys be able to block that that same number? We'll see. But I think that this team in position – has a lot of length and athleticism that can just overwhelm you on the defensive end of the floor. And I think by the time we get to January, this will be one of the top efficiency teams in college basketball in that category. And you bring up a good point about the defense because that was something that was clearly the main point of emphasis this week. I mean, these are really valuable practices, Sean. I mean, this is time that, uh, you know, most schools don't get. Uh, and, and you know, the the time that Cal had, me being at every single one of the practices, every single one of the shoot-arounds, it was, Sean, I'm telling you, 95% defensive drills, defensive rotation, pick-and-roll defense, you know, out-of-bound defense. Uh, it was almost exclusive uh, exclusively work on the defensive end. And I thought that was kind of a fascinating thing thinking, okay, we already know what this team's defensive potential is. Do you think that's kind of something on Cal's end where he sees the defensive potential? And he goes, okay, if we can drive this point home early and all of these defensive and with all these valuable practices that we have, what can we be in three months? Is What was your kind of takeaway on such a heavy, uh, you know, from a coaching perspective, such a heavy emphasis on defense at this point in the off season? I don't think that that I don't think that there's any concerns on offense is why I think that he was so focused on defense. When you have your point guard returning and you have the reigning national player of the year and Oscar Shibway returning, who's going to just get you so many extra possessions on the offensive end with his rebounding alone. And then you add the shooters that you have. I think that it's easy to kind of look and say, well, we're going to be good offensively, regardless of when we start picking this thing up. Like we know by the time we get to January, they should be a team that's probably in the top 10 in, in, in Ken Palm in offensive efficiency. Now it's like, do we get that defensive number there? And that was kind of the the area that was missing at times the, in the years where they've had opportunities to make a deep run. Like last year, that defensive efficiency number, it kind of went away down the stretch. Now, how much did injuries play into that? I don't know. But it certainly – they weren't defending at the level in March that they had been defending in January and early February. So it feels like Cal knows that this team has versatile pieces on that end of the floor. And a lot of people that probably watch the game of basketball and talk about it, they probably think that only versatility is on the offensive end. It's actually on the defensive end as well, because you can switch so many positions with this team. A guy like Jacob Toppin can guard one through four, maybe can even guard one through five with some of the added bulk that he's added to his frame. Chris Livingston, another guy that can, that can play and, and switch off. You got a nuclear backcourt on the defensive end in Casey Wallace and Sabri Wheeler that can make some switches and, and do some things. You have elite players that can get in the passing lane. J- Jack, to me, the thing as a coach, you're looking at players being in position. This team has so much length that they don't have to actually be in the right spot. They can cover so much ground, some short closeouts on the defensive end. This is going to be a very good defensive team. I think this will be one of those Ken Palm teams that'll look up and will be they'll be in the top ten in both offensive and defensive efficiency, knocking on the doors of March. And what what is the statistic? If you can finish, what is it? Top twenty in both that the, historically the Final Four teams that that is in a, a very direct indicator of a Final Four team. Is that correct? It is. Yeah, and I, and I think right 
down the end last year, didn't they fall out of that top 20 on defense? They did. And then you look up and I mean, surely that, I mean, that's not what, that's not what, what was the only thing that was wrong. But when you look at numbers and you look at those numbers that take in so much of games, I mean, we're talking the entire body of work of what you do on the basketball floor. You cannot hide when it comes to those numbers. You are what you are. You are what the numbers say you are. And I do think that this is going to be a team that is going to to be anchored on the defensive end, but also a team that's going to turn that defense into easy offense that will shoot it well. They're going to be elite in transition. I think this is going to be a very good Kentucky basketball team. And that, that's not overreacting from what I saw in the Bahamas. I'm not calling Kentucky to go 40-0. and I'm not yeah. calling them to even win 30 regular season games like or anything crazy like that. I'm not calling them to win 28-29. But this will be a really good basketball team that should be the favorite in the SEC and probably one of the favorites to cut down the nets in the Final Four. Yeah, couldn't agree more, Sean. I uh, am going to wrap us up here because I have no idea if we're boarding or not. Maybe I've already missed my flight. I have no idea. I'm assuming that uh, I'm still all good, but uh, we have plenty of time to let this marinate and, you know, just dive into this film a little bit more, dive into, you know, the nuts and bolts of what we saw and, and just kind of overall takeaways. Maybe we find something in the film that uh, we missed before, or, you know, some other developments happen. So uh, we'll, uh, We'll uh, let this one ride for a little bit and uh, appreciate, again, Condado Tacos for supporting this trip. It was uh, an absolute blast. Maybe the next show that we do, uh, we'll talk about some of the uh, in-depth stuff, behind-the-scenes stuff that I I got to do and and, kind of give fans an inside look of what it's like to, you know, be a Kentucky basketball player, being in a film room, being in a... Um, you know, shoot around what, what all those things look like. So, uh, we have plenty more where this comes from, but until then, Sean, uh, where can fans find your work? You can find my work at gobigbluecountry.com and you can follow me on Twitter at GBB country. Find me on Twitter as well at Jack Pilgrim KSR. Reach out to me via email at jpilgrim at kentuckysportsradio.com. With that, we'll be back next time for the Jam Packed Sources Say podcast. We will see you then. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.